Amen. And I love that song. If you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke 2. Luke 2. Uh, we're going to look at the first several verses here down to about verse 20 this morning. Parents, we've designed this service with you in mind. We know your children are sitting with you, which means I will not preach an hour this morning, I promise. We will have an abbreviated sermon somewhat. Uh, but uh, So don't worry about it if, you, if your kids are making noise or whatever. We expect that. That's just... We, we wanted to have a, a time of worship, a time of family, a time of togetherness. As we remember the fact, as we celebrate the fact that our Savior has been born. As we celebrate the fact that we have a King who has indeed, as we just heard, broken the chains and oppression that sin and death hang over us. That, that the things that we could never do away with, He has done away with. When we gather on Christmas and we celebrate, this is not a normal day for us. This is the day when we are reminded that the God of the universe, the one who hung the stars in the sky, has put on flesh and blood and become a man. Uh, and so this morning, I, I want us to worship Christ as we look at Luke chapter 2 and be reminded of a few different things that Christmas reminds us of. And so Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we'll look down through verse 3 just to start this morning. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Father, I just ask you now, be with us during this service. God, I pray that you would be glorified, that you would be honored. And God, that we would truly celebrate the birth of our Savior. That we would truly celebrate the incarnation. God, that we would just be in awe of the fact that you would do something so amazing for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this man that Luke records for us here, this man named Caesar Augustus, during the time period in which he lived, he would have been the most important, most powerful man in the world. He would have been able to do whatever he wanted to do and decide whatever he wanted to decide, and no one could question uh, anything that he wanted to do. And so uh, during his time period is when we begin to see a lot of the the, uh, the Pax Romana, the time of peace that Rome brought to the entire world. This man was extremely powerful. In fact, so much so that he demanded that his subjects call him Lord, call him God, worship him as deity. During this time period, he decides to figure out how many people he has in his kingdom and how much money he has. And so he has everybody go home to his own town. And one of these people we read about in verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the, of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And so we have this man named Joseph enter into the picture. Joseph, we learn from other places in the Bible, is a carpenter. He's a man who worked with his hands. He's a man who built stuff. He's a man who fixed stuff. He was a good guy to have around. Not only was he a good guy to have around, he was just a generally a, a good man. We see this in Matthew's Gospel where when he first finds out about Mary's pregnancy and he knows the baby is not his and rather than killing her or putting her out into public shame, he, he decides to simply quietly divorce her to separate himself from her. And then when God says, no, wait, this baby that she has is actually going to be the king, actually going to be the savior, he says, well, I'm in. I'll do whatever you want, God. And so he has Mary come with him to go home to Bethlehem. Bethlehem was what, we, what the Bible calls the city of David. It was the place where David was from. And, and it's the place where Joseph was from because he's the great, 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 great 
grandson of King David, the, the, the one who God had promised that one day there would come a king to finally make all things right, to finally fix everything that we have messed up. And so they, Joseph goes home to Bethlehem. He goes home to the place that he was raised. And so we, we come to verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Time for Mary to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and lied, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And so Joseph goes home to Bethlehem and it just so happens that they get there about the same time that Mary is giving birth to Jesus. And I say just so happens because in our minds it just seems like a happy coincidence. But in God's plan and in His purpose, it's exactly what He said would happen over like 400 years before this when we read about it in Micah where He says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. God had promised that the Savior, that the King, would come from Bethlehem. And guess what happens? The Savior, the King, is born in Bethlehem. What appears to be a, a series of happy coincidences turns out that this was God's plan all along, that God was going to make happen what He said was going to make happen. Luke shows us Caesar Augustus, the most powerful man in the world, making decisions. But when we back up and look at the, the grand scheme of things, what we see is that Caesar Augustus, this great powerful man, is nothing more than a pawn in the hands of our great and glorious God. You see, Christmas reminds us that God is in control. Christmas reminds us that no matter how powerful we think we are, God is always bigger and God is always stronger. Christmas reminds us that no matter how powerful men may look or how powerful leaders may look, they are simply walking according to the plan that God has mapped out for our world and that God will always bring to pass the promises that He has made. Now, now we know that it's not always easy walking the path that God has put out in front of us. You take Mary and Joseph. Do you think this was easy for them? A, a woman who's nine months pregnant riding on the back of a donkey to Bethlehem? Like there's no heated seats uh, on that donkey, right? I mean, it's going to be cold, it's going to be muddy, it's going to be nasty. It's a long ride, it's an anxious ride. And then when they get there, they're looking for a hotel. Hampton's, uh, you know, filled up. There's no, no place to stay. And so they go to the inn and they're like, hey, we need to get in. And they're like, sorry, no room. Oh, by the way, there's a manger out back where we keep all of our animals. I guess y'all could stay there if you need to. This sounds like a really amazing experience to give birth to your first child, doesn't it? Not at home with your loved ones, but surrounded by a stinky old barn. But Luke is showing us here that in spite of the fact that this one man, this king, or this uh, Caesar, Augustus, may look powerful, he is nothing compared to the great God of the universe who takes his own son and has him born in the backside of a manger in this itty-bitty town in the middle of nowhere. You see, actually God had Mary and Joseph exactly where he wanted them to be. They felt like they had been forgotten, I'm sure. They felt like things were not working out as they had planned. But God says, no, this is exactly where I want you to be. In fact, I knew uh, hundreds of years ago this is where you would be on this night. Guys, this morning, if you've ever wondered what God is doing, if you've ever wondered if God is maybe not on your side, think about Mary and Joseph. And think about how they must have felt on that first Christmas. 
Yet it is, it is these two people, Mary and Joseph, that God uses to bring His Son into the world. See, God does not favor the rich and powerful, but rather the meek and the humble. He, he does not uh, say, oh, well, these people are powerful and so I'm going to bless them. No, what He does is, is He takes the people that are most unlikely and uses them for His purposes and for His glory. I, I, I don't know how Christmas affects you each year. I don't know what's going on in your life this morning but I do know as we look at the very first Christmas, we can see two people whose plans obviously have not worked out for the way they had planned on it happening. But God is very much at work in their lives. I mean, if anything could have went wrong, it went wrong in these folks' lives. But even in the middle of everything going not according to plan, God is working out their deliverance and our deliverance. He's working out a way for us to be safe, for us to spend eternity with Him. If this morning you're like, man, I've got so much stuff going on. I don't know what God's up to. Mary would be like, I, I feel you. Like, I, I see what's going on. Joseph would be like, man, I understand, brother. I, I, I had a lot going on, too, on that first Christmas. But it's these two people that God uses to not only bring his son into the world, but to raise his son. Can you imagine being at the center of God's plan like that? God is saying to them, and he's saying to us, I've not forgotten you. I've not misplaced you. I've not gotten you off track. No, you're exactly where I want you to be. You're exactly where I would have you to be on this Christmas morning, just as it was for them on the first Christmas. So quit this morning trying to figure out how to get around God's plan for you and simply just walk in the way that He would have you to walk. Be reminded this morning that God is in control. But also be reminded of, of how precious we are to Him and how He, he gauges importance. Look at verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Then you look at verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So God is getting ready to announce the birth of his son. The, the most important person in the entire universe, the Savior of the world, is being announced here. Who do you think he's going to announce the birth of his son to? Do you think he's going to announce it to the, the powerful people, the people who everyone considers important? No, he actually announces it to what the society would have considered some of the least important people. The folks who lived out in the field who you saw just every now and then and always wished that they would have taken a bath before you did see them. The folks who no one was too impressed with. God sends an army of angels to sing to them about the coming of His Son. See, what we think is important is not what God thinks is important. The people we think are important is not necessarily the same way that God sees things. You see, God sees us much differently than we see ourselves, and He sees others much differently than we see them. God, God goes and He ministers to and He sings to these shepherds out in the middle of the field, just minding their business, doing what they were supposed to do. And he, and he gives them hope through the song that these angels sing. He shows them that 
that Jesus has come. He shows them that the Savior has arrived. He, he sings to them and He tells them that peace has come. He tells them that there's availability of peace for all people. That no longer are we at, at, at odds with God, but that we can have peace with God, that we can have the separation between us and God taken away, that we can have forgiveness, that we can have salvation. Peace is incarnated in the Prince of Peace who has come to reconcile us to God. The song tells us that the promised one has finally arrived and that the true King has come to break the chains of sin and death in our lives. He, he, the promise has come that we can actually have hope for tomorrow. That instead of getting up tomorrow, or the, the shepherds can now look and say, you know what, tomorrow's going to be amazing. Because we have a Savior that we can trust in. We have a Savior who's been born. We no longer have to fear God, but we can have peace with God through the Savior that has been born, Jesus. And so these angels sing and tell them this good news. The angels sing and, and praise the God of the universe. And these shepherds hear, they, the, these shepherds hear the wonderful announcement. And so what do they do in verse 15, well, they go and they tell everybody about it. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Think about the journey these shepherds have been on on this first Christmas. They went to find the Savior, uh, this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. I mean, you think about the, the fact that, that these Shepherds go and they find the Savior of the world, the, the one who created all things as a little baby. Can you imagine their excitement? Can you imagine their excitement at hearing that the Savior has been born, the one who's going to finally fix and repair the relationship between God and man? The relationship that was destroyed because of Adam and Eve and their sin in the garden, their disobedience in the garden, so that God sent man out of his presence, out of relationship with him as a result of their sin. And ever since then, had been pursuing His people, pursuing His people, calling them back to a relationship with Him. Jesus is finally going to restore that relationship. Jesus is finally going to make all things new. He's finally going to give us an opportunity to, to spend eternity with Him, to have this relationship with God restored. They go and they get to see this. And see, Jesus didn't stay a baby, right? He... he grew up, and as he grew up, he did just what he came to do. He lived the life that you and I should have lived. He, he did everything the Father told him to do. He did all that God had sent him to do. He lived perfectly according to the will of the Father, the opposite of what we do very often. But he lived as we should have lived, and at the end of his life, rather than receiving you know, praise, he receives death. He receives punishment, not because of anything he had done, not because of what we have done. He dies on the cross, and as He dies on the cross, He is paying for our sins. But He doesn't stay dead. In fact, He raises again, and He offers all those who believe in Him eternal life. I remember the very first Christmas I was a pastor, and, I, and guys, I'll share this with you every single Christmas. I just I can't help it. It's sort of a life-changing moment for me. I 
flipping through the channels, and I came across a man named Mr. T. Y'all remember Mr. T? Some of y'all do, some of y'all are like, I have no idea who you're talking about. Mr. T was the coolest guy of my childhood. I mean, he was just a, a bad dude, right? I mean, he was just a, somebody that you really looked up to. And so he's sitting there and he's being interviewed. Now, Mr. T has become a Christian of some sort. I don't know his theology. I don't endorse Mr. T's theology or anything like that. But I was watching him and he was being interviewed. And this person asked him, they said, what do you, Mr. T, what do you think of the Christmas holiday? And he looks at the person interviewing him and he stops him and he says, whoa, 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 whoa. He says, Jesus' birthday ain't no holiday. Jesus' birthday is the most holy day. And, and like, the guy was like, huh? And it, what he meant was, like, Jesus' birthday, the time that we celebrate the incarnation of our Savior, is not the same thing as Valentine's Day. It's not the same thing as President's Day. It's something more than getting off of work early. It's something more than just spending time together. Jesus' birthday, the fact that we celebrate Christmas, reminds us that we have a Savior, that God uh, took on human flesh, the one who holds the world together by the power of His Word, was lying in a manger. And, and so Mr. T is right in that. I don't know if he's right about anything else, and I really don't care because that's going to stick with me forever. Because every time I eat fudge or you know sweet potato pie or whatever around Christmas, I can be reminded that the most holy day, the, the time that we celebrate, is the fact that our Savior has become flesh, that our Savior uh, took on human flesh. You, you see, guys, we, we celebrate Christmas every year because our great and powerful God wanted, to spend, wanted us to spend eternity with Him and made a way to do so. He sent His own Son to die in our place and become flesh and blood and live among us. In many ways, these shepherds are a rebuke to us. They are a reminder to us of how far short we fall of what we're called to do. Many times we do. We treat Christmas just like we would the 4th of July or any other holiday that we, we celebrate because we forget how amazing this truth is. We, Mary and Joseph went into Bethlehem asking for a room in the inn and the people in the inn said, sorry, we don't have any room or time for you. We don't have any place for you in this place. And, and as you read that, you can't help but think about our own hearts. You see, these people weren't necessarily evil and wicked and wanting Mary and Joseph to have to spend the night in the manger. They just didn't have room. It was too full. How often are our hearts the same way? So full, so crowded. It's not that we mean to not give Jesus a spot in our hearts. It's not that we mean to not give Him room in our lives. It's just that we're too busy. We got too much other stuff going on. We got too much other things to worry about the one who's sitting on the throne of the universe about the one who became flesh. And so this morning, I, I want to ask you, are you like the shepherds on this first Christmas? Who when they heard the news, when they heard that a Savior had been born, they ran, they dropped everything to go and see Him. Nothing was more important to them than seeing the one who was born King. Not only that, they went and they told everyone about the one who had been born King so that everyone around them was worshiping God as a result of their story, as a result of them spreading the gospel. And they went away worshiping the one who had been born king. Or are we more like the folks in the end that say, well, I don't really have much time. I don't have much space in my life for you, Jesus. I wonder if this morning you would commit yourself to giving him your time, your heart, your all. That you'd be reminded this morning that he is indeed worthy of, of your everything. Would you stand with us? We're going to have another time of singing. 
During this time of singing, if you would like to come and pray, you come and pray as the Lord leads. We're going to sing this song, and as we sing it, we're going to worship the one who was born as our King. I do want to thank you all again for celebrating Christmas with us this morning. I hope that, that your celebration doesn't end here and that you continue to worship and, and celebrate the fact that our Savior has come, not just today, not just tomorrow, but, the, but every day. Um, just you check out the bulletin for any announcements. I don't remember any of them off the top of my head, and so I don't want to m- misannounce anything. But uh, y'all enjoy your Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. And I thank you, John. Remember, no service Sunday night or Wednesday night regular schedule next Sunday morning. See you for Bible study and Sunday school at 945. Otherwise, Merry Christmas to you. Let's sing as we go. Oh, come let us adore